Well, it's uh, great to be here this morning. When I'm introduced as the principal of the Theological College, people immediately get turned off, of course. You know, they think, well, this is going to be very deep and it's going to be very boring. Well, let me assure you, it's not going to be very deep. What about boring? I don't know. (laughs) We will see. Uh, I met quite a few people coming in and it's surprising how many people I know here. Quite a few of you have studied uh, through Malian College, which is exciting, and uh, others I know from other things around the place or know my family and all the rest. So it's a little bit like coming home, which is always great. Uh, I'm principal of Malian College and uh, we are a theological college offering all sorts of study right through from diploma level uh, right up to doctoral level. And we have uh, about 40% of our students are studying online. And if you're interested at all at really getting into the Bible, I think we'll go to the first slide, if that's all right. Is there a slide there? Ah, there we go. Uh, If you're interested in really getting into the Bible and studying at a greater level, you can uh, uh, come and get onto our website, would be the best, and see what sort of study you want to do. There's one-year courses, there's part-time courses, full-time courses, right across. And we have about 250 students or so. And the great advantage with us is that you can study online or come in person, or even a combination of those things. We have Tuesday night lectures as well as lectures during the day and all the rest. So if you're interested at all, by all means come and have a chat to me afterwards. Uh, or get online and have a look at uh, some of the things that we offer as a college. We're going to have a look at uh, some poetry today. It's a psalm that we're going to look at. And so I want to get you in the kind of poetic mood. All right. Now, it's a bit of a tough psalm, this one. It's a lament psalm. It's a psalm of someone going through a fairly tough time. My difficulty is I've got a maths physics background, so I'm all left brain. I've got no artistic side to me at all, all right? So I've got to work a bit hard at this, as some of you probably have to do as well. Uh, My wife's a music teacher and a musician and an artist, and uh, so we sort of balance each other out, all right? But I want you to get you in a bit of an artistic mood this morning, all right? So what I want you to do is to think of a time that was very, very tough in your life. Some of them, some of you it will be now. But for others of us, it's a time in the past where it's been really, really difficult for us. Things have not worked out the way that we'd hoped. Uh, God often doesn't seem to be present at that time. I want you to think of a time like that. And if you had to paint a painting of it, oh, don't go to the painting yet. <laughs> if you had to paint a painting of it, what kind of colours would you use in your painting of that time? Right, just close your eyes for a minute, right? We're just getting into the mood so that we'll appreciate this psalm, right? What kind of colours would you use to, to paint uh, something like that? The time that you were going through, the difficulties and the problems and the struggles and the pain. Okay, well, I don't know what colours you'd use. I was sort of thinking about purples and blacks. We'll go onto the slide. This is someone trying to do that. That's not my painting, by the way. It would be a lot worse than that, I can tell you. Okay, but that's sort of blacks and reds. Well, let's look at this psalm and look at some of the pain that the author was going through. So it's Psalm 42. If you've got your Bibles there, it would be great to follow it through. I'm going to read it uh, to you. And then we're going to explore what this psalm uh, is saying. Psalm 42. It'll be up there on the screen as well as uh, you can look at it in your 
scripture as well. For the director of music, a mascal of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where's your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God, with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Now you'll notice in this psalm, in this song, that the author is very aware of what it's like to go through significant pain. You can tell that by some of the pictures uh, that he paints. Let me just have a look at a few of them. Verse 3. My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me all day long, where is your God? Uh, Next slide, I think it is. We go on. Next one. That's it. My tears have been my food day and night. This poetically captures a very poignant picture, doesn't it, of of just constant crying, not even being able to eat, just in so much pain. Let's have a look at the next one, verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now there's a couple of pictures of pain here in terms of water. The first one is deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Now, what on earth is that about? Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. Because there's this huge waterfall coming. Now, the deep calls to deep is probably a reflection back on Genesis 1 verse 2. I put the verse up there on the, on the slide. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. So this was back before the world was created and the deep was a, a sort of a chaotic, dark uh, dangerous place. Uh, if you've ever been out on the sea at night on a cruise or something like that, if you look out of the, the window, you can see the deep and it's frightening and it's scary and it's dark and it's dangerous. And you know that if you f- went out there, you'd be gone. And that's the idea, this dark, chaotic, desperate waterfall is coming all, all over him and, and he's trying to get breath, but this is constantly f- that the darkness and the chaos of it all is constantly around him. And then the second picture is uh, more familiar to us in the second part of the verse. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now he's moving to a surfing situation 
where you're in the surf and the waves keep coming and you're trying to desperately get breath and you, you just get one breath and then suddenly the next wave hits you and the next wave hits you, you're drowning. So he's describing the pain that he's going through as a, a drowning experience. It's desperate. The waters are coming all over me and there's no chance for me to survive. The third picture is in verse 10. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? It's like a deadly wound in my bones. It's like something, and in those days, of course, it would be an arrow or a spear or a sword, and something's impacted my bones, and I know I'm going to die because of this. The pain is just horrific, and it's just going to get worse and worse. I had a good friend die last year of bone cancer, and and this is the kind of experience that he was going through. The pain is great and it's just going to get worse. He's aching with the pain. So you can tell by these images, can't you, that this guy writing this knows a lot about suffering. He's in agony. Most of us know how he feels. We've been there at some stage where life is just very, very tough and very difficult and very painful and and we, we recognise some of these pictures in, from our own lives. If you're there at the moment, you're going to find, I hope, this morning really helpful. Because we're going to be looking at what this psalm says about the pain that we go through and how we can deal with that as we, as we face up to it. If you're not going through it at the moment, I hate to say this, but you will be. <laughs> there will come time, and probably not in the too distant future, where this will be your experience as well. And maybe some of the things will be helpful for you then. Or maybe you've got someone, a friend or a family member, that's facing terrible pain at the moment. And these thoughts that this psalm shares with us might be very helpful for them. So have a listen today. And hear about what do we do when we face deep pain, when it feels like God's not present, where it almost feels like God may have abandoned us, because that is what this psalm is all about. Well, what sort of situation would, would you go through that would cause as pain as that? Well, Psalm 2 is a mascal. That just means it's a sort of a thoughtful poem written by the sons of Korah. Now, you might have heard of the Sons of Korah, have you? It's a band that plays around Australia. It's an Australian band and very good, sings the Psalms. Well, that's not the Sons of Korah that I'm talking about, all right? The Sons of Korah, Korah, I don't know if you know, was a, was a, a Levite, so sort of set apart uh, to serve God, who had rebelled against Moses and God killed him. So this family had a good background, didn't they? But, but his kids and his kids and his grandkids and the family kept on going. They became professional musos. They were Levites, so they were set apart for ministry in the temple or uh, tabernacle and then the temple. And, and so they were songwriters. They were singers. They were leaders of the processions and uh, of the worship times. And, of course, the Israelites had fantastic times three or four times a year where they'd come together and they'd worship God and they'd have processions and they'd dance and they'd enjoy God together. And so these guys were very involved in it. For, for hundreds and hundreds of years, these sons of Korah were involved in leading worship and in writing songs uh, for the Israelite people. And some of their songs are recorded in the book of Psalms and this is one of their songs. Now there's some clues in the psalm about when it was written. Uh, let's have a look at verse uh, 6. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, 
the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar. Now what on earth are these people, or this writer of this song, the Sons of Korah, what are they doing writing and thinking about these places from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon from Mount Mazar? Where were those places? Well, actually, they were outside Israel. They weren't within Israel. They were north of Israel. Uh, these days, uh, it's on the, it would be sort of the mountain range between Syria and Lebanon. Uh, that's about where these people were writing from, uh, which, of course, is, is, is north of Israel, as it was back then, and as, of course, we know it now as well. So there's a fair chance that these people had been kicked out of Israel. They'd been forced to flee, and they were living in another country. They were refugees. That's pretty appropriate for today, isn't it? <laughs> they were refugees in another country, in a place where they were not liked at all. People didn't want them there. Uh, they were being opposed. They had enemies all surrounding them, it says in this psalm. And so it's very likely this happened during the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians came through. Uh, they took a long, lot of people away in exile and they forced others to flee. And these holy people, these professional musos, these, these men of God were forced to flee and they were forced to live as refugees uh, in another country over the border. So you can imagine what, how painful it was for them. Like here they were. I mean, how painful it is. We see pictures all week of these refugees and uh, going through incredible pain, hoping for something better, but at the moment just living in, in dreadful circumstances and situations. And these refugees were like that. So you can imagine it was very, very painful, but particularly uh, for these people, for the sons of Korah, because for the Jews... As it was back then, as it still is, everything revolves around the homeland. Everything is about Israel. And not only were they incredibly attached to the land, but their ministry lay there. The temple that they had worshipped in, that they had been in the centre of, was now in ruins. Their, their job was gone, their ministry was gone, their life was gone, their land was gone. They'd lost everything. They'd lost everything. And it felt to them. Not only had they lost everything that was important in their life, but it felt to them that they'd almost lost God as well. Look at verse 9. It says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? God's supposed to be my rock, and yet he, he seems to have forgotten me. He seems to have disappeared when I've needed him the most. So you can see the pain they're going through. It's very, very tough for them. And so when we come to look at this psalm, we recognise that here are we are with fellow travellers. This is not someone just writing a song in theory. This is someone that's right there in the middle of the pain, trying to deal with it and trying to talk to God about it, and this is what they write. And so we're going to have a look at it and say, well, what can we learn from this when we're there, when we're in that situation, when it feels incredibly black, and difficult, and maybe it almost feels that God doesn't seem to be doing what we thought he was going to do. All right, so what do we do in those situations? And there's three points, so you'll know how far I am through the sermon uh, as we go along. The first thing that I notice that these sons of Korah do, or the son of Korah who wrote this does, is uh, he laments. In other words, he looks at his situation at the moment and says, this is not good. <laughs> this is awful. This is dreadful. And we went through some of those verses that describe that. My soul is downcast within me. 
my, uh, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my foes, foes taunt me. There's a lot of complaining going on in this psalm. Did you get that? This is not good. This is awful. What's going on here? This is dreadful. Look what's happening. People are rubbishing me. I'm trying to do what God wants and it's just a mess. It's complaining. He's taking an honest look at his situation and saying, God, this is really tough. Some of us are not good at complaining, are we? Do you know what I mean? Like, like we think, well, you know, life's not too bad and I haven't got it too bad, so I really haven't got anything to complain about. I don't know if you know the phrase at all, first world problem. You familiar with that phrase? Well, this is a first world problem. And I've put a few funny ones up there, but the idea of first world problem is that, well, you know, how can we complain about what we're going through when there's people in this world that are so much worse off than we are? No matter how bad your situation is this morning, it just doesn't compare to, to people in other places in the world. That uh, We have first world problems, so we've got nothing to complain about. Everything is fine. I don't actually like that term, first world problem. <laughs> Because what it does is it diminishes the pain that we're going through. Now, yes, you might be concerned about a job that might not be here in 12 months' time, but the f- and there's someone else in the world that's worrying today about whether they can feed their kids or whether their kids are going to die of starvation. Now, I know those problems don't compare, but the fact is just because there's people suffering more than you doesn't mean that your pain's not significant. It really is significant and it really is important. And we can't just write it off and say, well, it doesn't matter. Every, someone else is, is worse off than I am. That's true. It always will be true. It's actually true for everyone in the world today except one person. There's people worse off than them. But the fact is our pain is our pain. And pain is significant. And what we need to do when we're going through pain is actually to lament it, to be honest about it. Some of us um, struggle... We can complain about it. We complain to other people, our family or friends or whatever it is. We just struggle to complain to God about it. Do you know what I mean? Like you shouldn't do that with God. Like, you know, um, God is gracious and he's good and we sing all these songs of worship to him and we shouldn't be complaining to God about our circumstances. And we're not very good at that. I mean, how many songs do we have that sounds like this song? Not many, do we? (laughs) We don't, we don't tend to complain to God. And part of the reason, I think, is that we feel inadequate. We feel that we don't deserve anything from God anyway. We also think that God's great and we need to continue to praise him and thank him for what he's done. And that's true. We do need to praise him. We do need to thank him for what he has done. But the fact is, we also need to lament. We need to face our pain and say, God, I know that I'm not perfect. I know that I haven't got it all together. But I'll tell you what, this doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem good to me. This is, this, is, this is awful. This is difficult. This is really tough. Now you say, oh, I don't feel comfortable saying that to God. Well, if Jesus said it, would you be comfortable then, right? If I can show you that Jesus actually lamented, then can you do it? Uh, Jesus, certainly just before the cross and on the cross, Jesus lamented. In fact, on the cross, he asked a question of God. Do you remember what the question is that he asked of God? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now let me ask you, did he know the answer to that question? 
Of course he did. That's why he'd come to this world to die on the cross for us. He knew the answer, but he was actually quoting from a psalm, a lament psalm, Psalm 22. That's a lament about the righteous people that are suffering and saying, this is not fair, this is not right. And Jesus uses this psalm. When he's on the cross, he only says the first bit of it, but this psalm in his mind of righteous people suffering unjustly. And he says, God, this is not good. This is not right. What on earth is going on here? That's a lament. And if Jesus can do it, then we can do it as well. And so the first thing we find here is, is the need for us to look around and be honest. Now, of course, some of us, the things that we're going through are minor and we need to say that. This is not really a big thing, Lord. With your help, I'll get through it. But others of us are suffering unjustly, unfairly, are struggling in very, very deep ways. And we need to say to God, we can say to God, God actually likes it when we say to him, God, this is too tough. This is too difficult. This is not fair. Well, what on earth are you doing in this situation? And we come to God as we do that. See, the danger with pain, I'm going to say some more about this in a minute, but the danger with pain is that eventually, if we just leave it there, we actually move away from God. We actually feel that God doesn't care, that he's not interested, that he's not concerned about the things that we're going through. And so we lament, as Jesus did, and we say, God, this is tough, this is difficult. Okay, so that's the first thing uh, that we need to do and that we see it here in this psalm. We lament. We look around at the present and say, honestly, this is not good. Okay, now the second thing we do, well, they did at least, and I guess this is a pattern for us, is in verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. The writer remembers what it used to be like. He remembers what it was like when the temple was there. And I mean, the, I mean, the Israelites just used to love their celebrations. Do you know what I mean? He remembers how fantastic it was. The people were excited. God was present. God was moving. They were worshiping God. They were singing these songs. They had thousands of professional musos like helping them and doing this. And uh, he re- he remembers what it used to be like. How fabulous it was. It's awful now. But he looks back and thinks, it hasn't always been like this. It actually used to be really, really fabulous. It's interesting in these first couple of verses here, this is what he's doing. And often we use these verses in a different context. But it says this in verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? Often we use this context, we, we, we think of, you know, in the middle of a wonderful situation and we're just panting and thirsting for God, but this is the opposite. This, this is, guys, he's, he's in a dry, difficult, tough situation and it's like the deer is in the desert and has not been able to drink water or eat any food and is absolutely desperate. And what he does is he remembers what it used to be like what it used to be like, how beautiful it used to be, how precious it used to be, how refreshing it used to be, how filling it used to be. But it's not like this anymore. It's tough 
and it's difficult, but he remembers what it used to be like. Now, there's some debate on this in the commentaries about whether remembering is good or bad. Do you know what I mean? Like, as you remember what it used to be like, is that bad for you? Because you can't go back there. And if it was much better in the past than it is right now, you think, well, that could be a bad thing. But in fact, this psalm makes it really clear that remembering is a, is a good thing. Listen to what those, this guy says, the Korah guy says. Verse 5, after he says, these things I remember as I pour out my soul. In verse 5 he says, why are you downcast my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God. Uh, verse, uh, my soul is downcast within me. Verse 6, and therefore I remember you from this place where I'm a refugee. I remember you. What God has done in the past, he will eventually do again. Some of us are not very good at remembering. It's not just that we haven't got good memories, although that's the case for some of us. But uh, we're just not good at remembering back what's happened in the past. There's huge dangers in that, you see. If we can't remember what God's done in the past, it feels like when it's tough that that's all that there's ever been, that this is the way life has always been, that this is what I've always experienced of God. And what happens is as I remember back in the past, it really helps me because I know that what I'm going through at the moment isn't the be-all and end-all of everything. Yes, it is painful. Yes, it is difficult. Yes, it feels like God's at some distance. Yes, I can't see his power at work and I don't know what on earth he's doing in this. But it hasn't always been like that. I remember when things were different. I remember when God worked in great power. I remember when, when he changed my life. I remember when he touched me with his grace. I remember enjoying his love so deeply. I remember all of those things. And it gives us a perspective on today that today is not everything. Today is not be all and end all. Let me give a really simple illustration to, uh, to show you uh, what I mean here. Right? Um, I'm not really good with winter. Right? I don't really like winter at all. Now, it's starting to get warmer now, so that's fantastic. But the trouble with winter is that I get cold. And I don't like being cold very much at all. That's what it feels like to me. Now, imagine, imagine in wintertime, which we've just been through, Imagine if I had no memory, right? If this was all that I thought there'd ever been. And here I am in winter, not liking winter, but having no memory of anything else. Then it's going to be very depressing for me, isn't it? It's going to be very difficult for me because I'll think, I'm going to live in winter for the rest of my life. This is just awful. This is what it's always been like and what it's always going to be. But of course, that's not true. I do have a little bit of memory left. I know I'm old, but I've got a little bit of memory left. And I remember what last Christmas was like. On the beach, Calandra with the grandkids. Like, I remember that. And that helps me right now, well, now in the middle of winter. Because it helps me learn it's not always going to be like that. It hasn't always been like that. And it won't be all like that in the future as well. And so having some sort of memory is very, very helpful for us. We remember back. Remember what it used to be like. And it reminds us not only of what God can do, but this present, if it's very tough at the present, is not everything. It's only a part of my journey with God. The Israelites, for all their weaknesses, all their brokenness, were very good at remembering. They would constantly remember back to what God had done when he delivered them from Egypt and brought them into the land of Canaan. 
This was hundreds of years later, and they're still in the Psalms and in many other places. They're celebrating this still. They're remembering, this is what my God is like. All right, it's pretty tough at the moment. It's difficult and awful, but I remember what God did. He, he sent all these plagues on the Egyptians, and he won a great victory, and he set us free, and he brought us into our land. That's what our God does. And it doesn't feel like this at the moment. But that's truth. It's reality. And this guy is remembering back to what it used to be like. That is just as true as what is happening today. So we need to remember, and when you're going through the tough times and the difficult times, you do need to look back. And whether that's bringing out the photo albums and remembering or telling the stories, or of course celebrating communion, because what are we doing in communion? We're remembering, aren't we? Remembering what Jesus has done. We're remembering the truth of the cross and what it means for us. And so we need to remember that it's not always been like this, that God has worked in his power. We need to celebrate that and to enjoy that, even when we're doing it tough at the moment. Does that make sense? Okay, so there's two things we've said so far. You're going to provide the third point for me, right? So the two points so far have been look around and be honest about our situations. This is when it's tough. We lament. The second thing we do is we look back. And remember what God has done on the past. Now, what do you think the third point's going to be? So look around at the present, look back and... Yeah, so you could preach this sermon, couldn't you, right? You could preach it. Look forward. Let's have a look and see what that psalm says about looking forward. There's a refrain here that comes in twice. And in fact, if you read forward, if you've got your Bibles open, if you read forward to Psalm 43, it's also at the end of Psalm 43, exactly the same verse. And it's probably 42 and 43 actually went together. But look at verse 5 and verse 11 here. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. And exactly the same in verse 11. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Saviour and my God. Put your hope in God. He's actually speaking to himself here. He's talking to himself and saying, come on, don't get so swept away by the present that you're forgetting of the future. Put your hope in God. Come on, do it. Put your hope in God. One of the lies that we're fed in our Western culture is that things are supposed to always get better. Right? Life should just get better and better and better and better. It doesn't, of course. Biblically, that's not true. The life is cyclical. It goes around in circles and we run, our life goes in seasons. And we have good seasons and we have, have tough seasons. And it doesn't always get better. Uh, I remember many years ago when I was teaching out in the country, uh, this is my first appointment. It was a little tiny uh, country school. It was a high school, so there was about 100 kids. It was a high top, just went up to grade 10 on top of a primary school. And so there was about 100 kids in the high school and I was teaching there out in the bush. And God did a kind of revival work in this little country town and some of the teachers became Christians and a whole lot of the kids started to get interested in Christianity. And at one stage, out of the 100 kids in the school, about 60 of them were coming to the Christian group uh, that we were running in the school. It was a fabulous, it was very exciting and God did a great work. After a couple of years in this little country town, I was moved to a bigger, much more bigger regional centre and to a large high school. So my thinking is, 
If God worked like that in a little tiny country town, in a little high school, what's he going to do with six or 700 kids in the high school? Like if he can do that with that small group, obviously things are going to get better and better and better. You know the most that we ever had in the Christian group in the big high school? Six kids. That was the most we ever had. We had 60 kids back with out of 100 and six kids out of 800. Now you could say, well, obviously you did something wrong there. But the fact is, it's seasons and God works in seasons. And we have seasons of blessing and we have tough and difficult seasons. Jesus went through that. He had some season, a season of great blessing and power. Then he had very tough seasons. Same with Paul. Same with everyone. Life works in seasons. Now the fact is, the good news of that is, the bad news is that good seasons eventually become tough seasons. The good news is that tough seasons eventually become good seasons. And so we need to have a hope. It's not always going to be like this. That God works in his seasons and he's allowed this season for me at the moment and it's tough and it's difficult, but he will change the season. And so we need to hope for that. We need to believe for that. We need to trust for that, that the season will change. Mostly that occurs on this earth, but if it doesn't occur now, it certainly will change forever when we go to be with God. And so we, we hope for that. We hold on to the fact that the season will change. Now let me ask you, did it change for this guy? Well, we don't know. We don't know how old he was when he wrote this song. We don't know uh, when he died. But we do know that it changed for Israel, that what seemed like an impossible situation, taken off into captivity by the Babylonians, chased out of their country, temple destroyed, it all seemed so impossible. But we know that 40 years later the Persians came along and a lot of the people came back to the land and rebuilt the temple and there was a tremendous revival. God did a powerful work and yes, they did worship again. And yes, God did move again. Seasons change and so what he's saying here is hope, hope in God. Don't let go of your hope. God will say. That's in his nature. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. My saviour, he's the one who saves. And my God. Your pain is only for a time. My pain is only for a time. God will save. And so this psalm, he's saying... I say to myself, I speak to myself. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not big on this speaking to myself thing. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like positive thinking and, and all the rest. But here in this psalm, we need to speak to ourselves. That's what he's saying. Speak to yourself. Come on. Come on, heart. Hope in God. And I don't know how you do that, but for the first time in my life, having studied this psalm, I've got some verses up in my office at home, some verses of hope that I can keep reading and saying, God, I'm going to hold on to this. I believe that this is true. You will save. You will change. You will work. We're not stuck here forever. We have a great hope. Come on. Hope. Believe this. Continue to look forward. Yes, look at the present. Be honest about the present. Yes, remember what God's done in the past. And thirdly, hope. Believe. Hold on to the fact 
that God's going to save, that God's going to work, that it's not always going to be like this. All right. So when God doesn't come through, and when at the moment you do feel trapped, you feel abandoned, what happens is you are in great danger of moving away from God. Like initially, when things don't work out the way that you hope they would, you pray heaps. Do you know what I mean? Lord, may you heal, may you heal, may you heal. Or may you give me a job. Or may you heal this relationship and may it work out. Like we, like we pray lots and lots and lots. But if nothing happens, then the danger is eventually we pull back from God. Like that's the way it is in all relationships. You're not going to keep on trying and trying and trying when nothing's going to happen in it. You're going to pull back eventually, and lots of people do. Oh, I'm not saying they stop coming to church or anything like that, but it's just, a, it's just not close to God anymore. Like, God doesn't seem to be doing what he said he would do, and this is just too hard, and how much can I pray about this? I've prayed about it so much, and still nothing's happened. So what am I going to do here? And so we pull back from God. What you find in this psalm is that this author, in a very difficult situation, this songwriter is actually doing the opposite. He's not pulling back from God. He's running to God. He's going to God. And he's going to God, lamenting about the pleasant, present situation. He's going to God, remembering what happened in the past. And he's going to God, hoping for what God is going to do in the future. All of these things are pushing him towards God. Let me finish with a verse that we haven't talked about. It's the only verse in the whole psalm we haven't talked about. And it's verse 8. And it's a really strange verse in a way because it's just so different from what else is said in the psalm. This is what it says. By day the Lord directs his steadfast love. At night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Now here he is complaining and saying this is so hard and so difficult. Then right in the middle of the psalm he makes this statement. By day the Lord directs his steadfast love. What on earth is going on here? It seems the opposite. But there it sits. The Lord directs his steadfast love. This word steadfast love, I don't know if you're, if you're aware of that, but it might be translated loving kindness or other things in your scripture. But it's the word, in Hebrew it's the word chesed. And it's the, word, it's the word love that has to do with covenant faithfulness, um, absolute commitment. It's the kind of love that a marriage that lasts forever has. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the ups and downs, but, but I am committed to you, whatever happens. Whatever goes on in our relationship, I am absolutely committed to you. And that's what this kesed love is. It's, it's God's covenant commitment. I am absolutely committed to you. And nothing is ever going to change that. And he says, I see in the middle of all of this, I know that God's chesed, God's is absolutely committed to me. And nothing, nothing is ever going to change that. And that makes all the difference. You see, if we have a God that comes close to us when things are going well and moves away from us when things are going tough... Uh, then it's difficult for us. But that's not true. And this writer knows that. He says, God is a kesed lover. He is absolutely committed. And I want to say to you this morning that God is absolutely committed to you. He has signed his covenant in the blood of Jesus. 
And because of what Jesus has done, if you belong to God, he is absolutely committed to you forever. He loves you intensely. He's incredibly interested in you. He's close to you right now. In fact, he's living within you. This is God. By day, the Lord directs his steadfast love to you. And in the light of that, in the light of the fact that we know that God is absolutely committed, whatever circumstances we're going in, even if it feels like he's not doing what we hoped he would do, we can still, if this is true, if God has a kissed love to us, if he deeply, deeply loves us, no matter how we feel, then we, in the middle of these difficult circumstances and pain that we're experiencing, rather than moving away from him, we run to him. <laughs> we run to him and we say, God, this is awful and this is terrible and we lament. And, but God, it hasn't always been like this. I remember what it used to be like and we remember and we look forward and say, God, you are a God who saves. And I know this season is tough, but I'm holding on to the fact of your cassette love that you deeply, deeply are committed to me and you will save. You will save. And this will not always be like this. So what do we do? What do we do in the middle of the disappointments and struggles and pain? We don't move back from God, but we run to him. <laughs> We run to God. And God stands with his arms wide open this morning. And if you are a follower of his, he's saying, I love you intensely. I love you intensely. I am absolutely committed to you. I will never let you go. I will never let you go. I care so deeply for me in the middle of the things that you're facing at the moment. Come on. Run to me. Run to me. Let's pray together. Father, this psalm has been very significant for me and through some of the pain and difficulties that uh, I've been experiencing and I thank you for its truth. I pray for brothers and sisters here this morning, Lord, that uh, are going, doing it really tough at the moment. And I pray that the truth of your word might echo around in their hearts and their minds, Lord, that this is true. Firstly, you are absolutely committed. Circumstances haven't changed that in the slightest. You are absolutely committed. And I pray for the freedom to say, hey, this is disappointing and this is tough and it is difficult and it is unfair to remember back of what you have done, Lord, and not to forget that, to hold on to those things are just as true and to hope, Lord, help me to do this too, to hope Say to myself, come on, hope in the future. Hope in what God's going to do. This season will change. God is a God who saves. And to hope and to hold on, Lord, to what you're going to do in the future as well. Lord, help us to run to you. Help us to enjoy you. Help us to go stay close to you. Help us to appreciate how deeply you care and you love us, Lord in the middle of all the pain and the struggles that are involved in living in this life. May we run to you, O oh God, who is absolutely committed to us and loves us so deeply and so intensely. We run to you, O oh Lord. Amen.